Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome everyone to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking project management with our special guest, so very excited about having her join us. Before we get started, as we normally do, I'll start in with a couple of announcements. First up, for all of our listeners out there, I'll ask you just to drop in the comments where you're joining us from. Always good to be able to see the different people joining us from around the world. So excited to know where you're joining us. Also, I want to say thank you to the team at Project Management Update. They hosted me yesterday uh, for a session. On, we called it the Great Debate, Agile versus Waterfall. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, it was fantastic. We had over 300 attendees on that session, very well received, and certainly appreciate everybody taking time out from their busy day to be able to join and listen in and also provide the feedback and comments uh, and questions during that show. So thank you. And for anybody that may have missed that show, um, it is now, the recording is available out there on the Project Management Update website. So you can go out there and get that. Also wanted to say that the PMO leader has finalized their date for our second annual conference. That is going to be October 18th of this year. So you can go out to the PMO leader website and get a little more information on that. Uh, but reserve it on your calendars. October 18th, uh, we're going to have one day virtual event, global in nature, and we're going to break it up into three separate regions. So an APAC region, in a MIA region, and an America's region. So we'll have localized content keeping us live for a 24-hour window uh, around the globe to be able to present information. So if you're interested in sponsoring or speaking and presenting at that, go out to, as I said, the pmoleader.com and you'll be able to get information for that. Also want to remind everybody for listening to these shows, they're worth one PDU. It's a fantastic offer because it's free. This is our 102nd show, so you have 102 PDUs available to you to help you with your registration and renewals of your certifications. So go out to the PMO Squad website, uh, search for Office Hours Podcast, and there are all the shows. Feel free to listen at your leisure, provide comments and feedback, and claim your PDUs. A reminder to everybody that we are live. So we are streaming right now on LinkedIn. YouTube, Facebook, and of course, we're on internet radio. So welcome everybody who's joining us from around the world. We are thankful, of course, to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. I had mentioned them earlier, but you can go to either one of their websites. You can go out uh, to pmosquad.com, learn more about all the different services that they offer to help clients deliver projects better. And the PMO Leader, of course, is a global community that's focused on helping PMOs and leaders deliver uh, better for the industry around the world. 
So with all the announcements finished, I am super excited to have with us today our special guest, Louise Worsley, joining us from South Africa. Welcome, Louise. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It really is. If you can take a moment just to say hello to everybody and introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. Hi there, everybody. So, yes, I'm, I'm sitting here in South Africa. It's a little bit dark here um, at eight o'clock at night. Uh, I am a I've been in project management for over 35 years. Can you believe that? So we're talking about the 80s when we go back to then. Um, nowadays, for the last 15, 20 years, I've been a consultant mainly working in portfolio, PMO, consultancy type assignments. And more recently, mainly focusing on my academic side, I've also been working in universities for nearly 15, 20 years now as a lecturer. And I am a lecturer at, um, on the University of Cape Town's master's programme in project management, where my, where my speciality lead is on leadership. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's impossible that you've uh, been in the industry now working on 35 years. You did, you're, it's just not possible, right? You're not, you haven't been around that long. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it's great to have all of that experience, right, to be able to influence and share with the community. So that's why it's so important and valuable for me to be able to have a guest such as yourself on the show, because you do have that experience to be able to share and and then to be able to share that with students as well is fantastic. So thank you for everything that you do to contribute to the industry. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. So, you know, with all that experience, uh, you know, kind of thinking back over your career, have there been any pivotal moments that stand out to you as, wow, I, that was a moment that really changed the course of my career and, and influenced what you've done in your profession? Yeah, I, I think in terms of becoming a project manager, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like a lot of people. I started out. I wasn't a manager. I was a I was a programmer. I wrote in BASIC and COBOL. And if you know those languages, then you probably like me. Maybe we should be retiring. I think maybe. <laughs> but so 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 that's yeah. I wrote computer games to start with, and and yeah. So I I kind of went on from there. I, as usual in those days, I got good at programming, so they made me a project manager. And I got good at project management, so they made me an IT manager, for goodness sake. So that's, so that's the kind of, the, I think the thing that really hit me is as I went into IT management, um, and my first job that kind of changed me is I, um, is I became an IT manager in one of the large London universities in the UK. Uh, and I and I'd got this job, and I, I knew that it was it was very exciting. And but the first few days I went there, I couldn't get in the university because there was picketing. People were on strike, and and universities. Are, it was the most political environment I've ever worked in. It was just amazing. And I I'd been brought in the university was in trouble. It had quality assurance problems. I was going to be running a project across the university, which the vice chancellor wanted, and nobody else wanted. They all hated me. <laughs> I've never been so hated in my life. You know, it's strange. I'd come from an environment where I had this wonderful IT team, and now I was in an environment where nobody loved me at all. So, I, I mean, I had to, I had to really come to terms with that, and I had to realise that having come from an environment where I ran teams, I was now in an environment where I had to work through people. Um, and and a few things happened to me. One of the first things is, fortunately, I got a mentor. Mm. who was the HR director. You know, it's so important. And, and I'm sure, Joe, you, I'm sure you've heard this before, how important mentors are in project management. Absolutely, yeah. So that was very important to me. And then the next big realisation from me, and this is why I think it's important for me as a project manager, was around leadership, was that you know, 
I had to lead by influence. I had to work through people, not have people working to me. And that was really important. And I had to change. I had to learn about influencing skills. And, and for me, the currency of leadership is relation is relationships. So I had to build those relationships in the university so that I could run this relatively complex program and, and, and build that coalition of support that we needed in order to do this major change program. And I think I, I personally had to change. I had to now focus not on doing things, but on creating those connections. And I think that for me was when I started to feel, gosh, this is this is what this is what it means to be a manager. This is what it means to run projects. It's not just about the doing stuff. It's about creating that environment. So yeah, I think that for me was when I started to become, I started to deny, I started to say, I'm not in IT. <laughs> you know how we do that? We, we come along, we, we start, we've been in IT for years, and then suddenly we have to say, no, I'm not in IT. I'm, I'm a manager. And I, and I had to go through that process and become that different person. Yes, for sure. So you mentioned the leadership component of that, right? And that's every project we run is unique, right, by definition. And therefore, the team has become unique. And But we're the leaders of these unique teams. And I would imagine for you personally, and I know for me it has been as well, leadership and improving those skills have probably been as impactful, if not more impactful, than project management skills. And really, I guess leadership is a project management skill. What's your thoughts on on how all of that has impacted your career as well? I think that is true. And I, I think that... Um, Naturally, as you go into more complex project management, you you are going to have to, you're going to get forced into that leadership type of approach. Now, if I put my academic hat on for a moment here, you know, yeah. it's still often quoted that we don't really know what we mean by leadership. There's still a lot of confusion by what we really mean by leadership. And I think that's quite interesting. And 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 you, you've probably been involved in some of the debates that we're hearing now about these different types of leaders, like the servant leaders, about the ethical leaders. Um, and and that's a, it's an important debate to have. But but we have to go back to, you know, what, what is leadership about? And ultimately, leadership is being able to create followers. Mm. And that's an interesting thing, is that you know, you, you're not a leader unless you have followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you create those those leader-follower relationships is, is really interesting. Yeah, it's the managers have authority because of positional rank and leaders have authority because people are following them. And yes. there's there's an inherent difference, right, in the impact and effect of, of those two. And, and certainly I'm, I'm a believer that the leader is, is more powerful than the manager uh, because you you don't have to command it, right? People are, are drawn to what you're doing and you're leading them. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And it's a debate that I have with my my students. One of the things that we debate is that we'll talk about servant leadership. And, and there's a natural tendency to, to say, oh, servant leadership is just wonderful. We should all be doing servant leadership, shouldn't we? But then what I'd like to do is, is like to do them is put them into different project situations um, and, and to ask them, in that situation, what kind of leadership style do you think might be most appropriate? Mm. And I think that's an interesting one because ultimately you almost always end up back in the concept of situational leadership, that, that the most successful leaders are those who are able to adapt their style 
to the to the situation we find ourselves in. So so that's an important one. And and are you a are you a fan of servant leadership, Joe? Robert Greenleaf, absolutely. I, I I'm a uh, I don't know if I'm an academic follower of the principles of servant leadership, but I am a philosophical follower and believer in yes. servant leadership. Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting one in projects because it, 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 it is in its simplest way of thinking about it, and, and Green Green I think describes this is that it's a bit like a continuum between being focused on yourself. I want to control. I'm I'm the leader through to focusing on the team and ensuring that the team is, um, is is able to be as effective as they can possibly be, which is the other area here. And the only thing that worries me slightly about that is that in projects where there is another group of stakeholders and it's the client. So, so where do we sit the client on that continuum? Um, and, and that's why I think it's an interesting debate for, and certainly I, I want the students to debate that, is to consider Okay, so I might feel comfortable being at this end or even at this end, but what about these other stakeholders over here? How do I how do I find myself in that servant leadership role and still ensure that the client stakeholders are, are being satisfied? And and that's that's the clever bit. That's the leadership bit. Yeah, and certainly uh, I just want to also say thanks to everybody joining us uh, remote. We've got folks coming from Brazil and the UK and the United States, so it's fantastic to see that. Uh, diverse crowd joining us. And on this discussion, I, I go back to a long time ago uh, when I was in my college days, my thesis, my master's thesis was on transformational leadership. And, and it goes back to, the, I wrote the paper on Apple Computer and how they use Steve Jobs' transformational leadership to be able to evolve the world, really, yeah. uh, and the company yeah. Apple into that. Servant leadership wasn't really as strong back then, but Yesterday's debate on Agile versus Waterfall, of course, the Agile mindset includes the tenets of self-governing teams and servant leadership built into that mindset. Yes. Uh, but to your point, yes, it's uh, what happens when when there is a different perspective, the client's focused versus the team's focused. And, and there should be some line drawn connecting those, of course. Absolutely. Um, so what's some of the, the different debates that you get from your students when it comes to those discussions? How... How are those without perhaps the same professional experience that we have, how do they respond to those sort of discussions? Well, one of the, um, the debates that we sometimes have around this is to ask the question, is are all leaders ethical? Are all leaders good? And so, you know, you immediately, you know, you, you can do the common ones. I mean, and the, and the classic servant leader ones like Gandhi and people like this who are in the public domain. But, of course, there are plenty of other leaders out there who are tremendously effective and, and not wishing to mention the war. But, you know, if you pick somebody like Hitler and a very, very effective leader, mm -hmm. but not an ethical leader. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting uh, if you look at some of the work done on even on servant leadership, let me be controversial here, that there's a tendency to assume that a servant leader is an ethical leader. But if you take the actual the view about servant leadership, which is taking, that, taking the team on that journey, well, I know, you know we could say that there are people out there who do take their followers on journeys, um, who do satisfy the needs of those teams, but they aren't necessarily very ethical about how they've done that. From the outside, I, don't, I, I could be controversial. Is Trump an ethical <laughs> leader? Because he's got great followers. Yeah. But you know, 
you can so so I think one of the interesting debates is where ethics fits into this. Um, and it is it is possibly a mistake to assume that any something like servant leadership is always ethical leadership. And I, I think that's quite interesting. What about if it's just to, to another end, if you like? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great perspective for us to consider on that. I'm wearing uh, a shirt today. We can't really see all of it, but it says birds aren't real. And, and we have a lot of followers that are for leaders out there where they're putting conspiracy theories out there and followers follow along with them. It could be cult people. It could be whatever it is, right? It doesn't have to be political in nature, but yes. people believe the absurd from leaders that share that information with them. Yeah. And, yes. and there was this gentleman here in the States uh, who was a college student and he was happened to be listening. He, he was sitting on a rooftop as a parade was going underneath him of these conspiracy theorists. And he said, this is just ridiculous. What, what is the most insane thing that I could write down on a, a board and I can walk around with these people? Yeah. And he, and he wrote yes. on the board, birds aren't real. And he joined the parade and was walking around holding up the sign. And within minutes, people started chanting, birds aren't real, birds aren't real. They, the <laughs> followers were just coming that. So now he's written this whole backstory and history about this fake, sarcastic movement to, to mock these, these conspiracy yes, theories out yes. there. Yeah, it, yes. So he's hired actors to portray CIA agents who said they were part of the U.S. government's uh, mass extinction of birds, that they're now all robots that sit on power lines to recharge and sit on phone lines to be able to eavesdrop on our conversations. Uh, but again, to your point, it's the leader can take that message and do with it however he or she wants. It doesn't have to have to be a message that's for the good, the greater good yeah. of the people. And I think that um, one of the things, and you've mentioned the word followers now, is that if you look at the leadership literature, there's there's a lot of work on leadership. And we're just starting to see, and uh, just to say we're just starting, there has been in the past, but it hasn't been as much, um, to look at what does it mean to be a follower? And I think that's really interesting. And I think if we, if we were to link that back into what we do as project managers, there are some parallels here with the way that we do stakeholder analysis. Mm -hmm. Because... Clearly, if you want to influence people, and by influence, that means, you know, getting them to want to do what you want to do, yeah. essentially, yeah. taking them on your journey, because you've inspired them to, to do that rather than told them to do that. And they want to, they want to do what you want to do. So, so part of being able to do that means we need to understand, I think, I mean, there are, as I said, some parallels with this idea of followers. And, and I suspect that um, over the next few years, we're going to see more research possibly because of things that have happened in politics and things like this, about how do people become followers? Um, and it, it, it's a, I think it's an interesting area. I also think it's, find it quite scary. Um, and I suspect that if it happens in, in some areas, we're going to be looking at things like social media, how people get affected by social media, which is what you were referring to there as well, Joe. How do people get affected like that? But I think in projects, if we take that back into projects, it comes back to how important it is for us, if we're going to act as influencers, to understand all the stakeholders that we're working with. Well, and, and to understand all of that, we need to research it, right? We need to collect data, analyze the data and, and make understandings and then take action on that. And you, I know you've been very involved in research as well. Can you share some of, of that background and, and the work that you've done from a research perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I use that term a little earlier on. That I feel that relationships is the is is the currency of um, leadership, uh, and and I use that guidedly because my my area of research for like twenty years now has been what makes project managers successful. Um, and apart from the pure research, I've got to do some wonderful things. I, I worked with a number of companies. This is when I can talk about BA Systems, huge defence group. And um, they had decided they wanted to invest in their top 50 project managers. But they wanted to find out how their best project managers got to be their best project managers. Mm. So so they 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 paid. If I would have paid them, they, but they paid <laughs> me. It was wonderful. I, I would have paid them to. to I got to go and um, interview some of their top project managers and program managers. And I got to, to job shadow them. And these were program managers who were running things like Eurofighter and massive programs and and there were some interesting things about them i think one of the first ones was clear was that at some point in their career every single one of these had a mentor who took them under their wing mm-hmm. and 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 i keep coming across this now is that to be successful in this way is that you need these kind of mentors and these mentors fulfilled a number of different roles part of it was to help introduce them into the organization to help them know who's who in the zoo in the in these political organizations but also when you're on um when you're on these tough projects and they are tough you need integrity you need organizational bravery it's very hard to do it on your own and and so for, for this this kind of mental approach was also almost like a social support it was the person to go to when the times are really hard um, and I think that's important for us when we find ourselves in these complex projects is that you need that, that the mentor is a really good place to go. And you should consider what you're looking to get from your mentor. And, and the other thing was interesting about these people is that in all cases, they had very extended personal networks in their organizations. And that's something that we found time and time again in high performing project managers is that they were they tend to be very good at creating these relationships so going back to what you were saying joe about understanding our stakeholders perhaps it's not even just research it's that because you put real effort into building those relationships creating the social capital that you need to draw upon to make your project successful um, that that turns out to be really important. And these good project managers were very good at that. They really were. And they created these, these networks. Uh, it, the other thing we found out, I mean, these these big, these very successful project managers, you know, none of them were under 40. You don't get 22-year-old project managers of this kind of complexity. It just doesn't. So it appears to be there's some kind of maturation process that project managers have to go through. Um, and and these project managers have worked in many, many different types of project arenas. And, and they built what, what we now tend to call as judgments around making the right decisions about the right approaches, the right leadership styles to apply um, to deal with the different types of projects that they were, they were going to be faced with. So, yeah, so that was that was a fascinating one. And, and I very much enjoyed hearing hearing their stories. Uh, I suppose the other thing that, you know, that there was in common with them is the three big ones that I followed, the program managers, every single one of them had had a heart attack. So oh, I mean, just be careful as well. <laughs> the stress, yes. And the stress, yes. <laughs> well, this is interesting, right? So we, we haven't talked about this previously. So this is, again, we're a live show. So this is on the fly type thinking based on your comments, right? 
all of them over 40, yet you're an instructor at a university speaking with young and young adults, getting them to successful project management careers. How do we as corporations take on these young adults, future leaders, when they don't have that experience to run these projects? Yeah, yes. No, so, and just to just to to um to kind of correct you, but I, I, the MSc, like most master's programs, is is actually they're all uh, mature students, okay. so they're all out sure. there working, which is common for an MSc. I mean, most masters now, particularly in management, people have gone away, a bit like an MBA, they've gone away, got some experience, and then they come back to do the masters. So, so they all are more experienced. Um, it's an interesting question about undergraduate project management courses because you know education is different from training mm-hmm. clearly different from training you know if 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 i do you have a do you have a daughter joe i do she's a junior in high school this year yes okay so if i said to you that they were doing sex training at school how would you feel oh not good not good <laughs> yeah. you're probably quite happy for them to do sex education absolutely yes so there's this huge difference that we see as, as, as academics. We see that education is very different from doing your Prince 2 course or doing your MSP course. What we're actually trying to do is broaden our understanding um, so that when you get faced with lots of different environments, you've got almost like a um, set of principles to go back to. So, so that's what um, you, you, you'd hope that we try and achieve in universities. But, but bringing young people on, it's, it's such a... I mean, I've, I've been working with a lady who I, I think you might be interviewing a, f- a few times from now, who won the South African PMO Leader Award, a lady called Marion Baxter. Um, and she put a lot of effort into bringing on um, PAs and project coordinators and, and rising them through the ranks. And one of the most difficult decisions for a manager is when to throw that more complex project at that individual. Mm-hmm. And it's a really it's a really hard decision, and it's hard in organisations for a number of reasons. One is because, you know, you as a PMO manager, you'll know this. You know, you don't get too many trials when you get it wrong. Right. Yes. So you so you put you you know you put this young person on who you think can be ready for it, and it turns out they're not. It comes back to you. So it's a hard decision. Um, and the other problem that exists is that because that person has been maybe a junior project manager in the organization, they've got baggage. People still treat them like a junior project manager. Mm -hmm. So so bringing somebody up in the ranks is quite tricky because how you move from from just giving them the the, the normal projects and then trying to push them into the more complex projects, which they absolutely need in order to gain the experience and judgment necessary can be quite hard. And, and funnily enough, I've just been talking with another project manager in, in Marion's organisation, and what she had done is that she'd done really well in Marion's group, but she just couldn't make that break. She went to another organisation. They hadn't got the baggage in that organisation. It was kind of allowed to do things that maybe she couldn't do, and now she's come back into Marion's organisation. And I have seen that sometimes, is that sometimes the glass ceiling is hit by these young project managers and the best thing they can do is go somewhere else and hopefully come back, hopefully come back. I I don't know, would you recognise that in people around you at all, Jeff? So now running the PMO squad as a consulting firm, we only bring in those senior level resources. But having 15 plus years being a PMO leader, PMO director, yeah, that was a struggle that we had, right, of this person has tremendous potential. 
they may have started out as a developer, like so many project managers have, and but they haven't found that switch. And I, I as a leader, haven't been able to help them find that switch to get them to elevate. So maybe it's not a them problem. Maybe it's an environment problem. Maybe it's a leadership yeah. problem. And uh, that's where mentoring comes into play, right? And yes. having somebody that can listen to your situation and guide you uh, to make career decisions that may be uncomfortable, but may be beneficial in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I mean, many PMOs are doing this now. Uh, is it, and Marin certainly does. Is this this concept of um, attaching one of the more senior project managers to the more junior project manager to help them through with that process. And I think that's absolutely essential. I think what's interesting, though, and um, is that not all project managers make good coaches. And, and there's even been research done on this to suggest that that's not shouldn't be surprising to us because good project managers are often very task focused. So you tell a good project manager, you know, on top of doing this really difficult project and the other couple of things you're doing, if you could just mentor this person <laughs> as well. <laughs> and and sometimes they take to it, but sometimes you know, it's it, they're just not necessarily natural at doing it. So just because you've got a good project manager, um, one shouldn't assume that they'll make a good mentor or coach for your more junior project managers. And, and I'm sure PMO managers will recognize that. Yeah, we had a show a few shows back with Bruno Morganti, and he had talked about his time doing mentoring as well. And whenever we get into discussions about mentoring, I always take a pause and call time out and, and do a plug for my nonprofit organization, VPMMA, the Veteran Project Manager Mentor Alliance. And that's an organization that helped that we project management professionals mentor veterans or in military spouses who are transitioning into civilian careers to help them elevate their game because there's that big difference, of course, between the military and civilian life. And, yes. and we can help them with that. So for anybody interested in mentoring and helping veterans and military spouses, go out to thevpmma.org uh, and you can sign up to be a mentor. Or if you know somebody who is transitioning into civilian work, uh, they can also sign up to be a, a mentee. And there's no cost for that. So uh, that's my shameless plug for the nonprofit organization um, and mentoring out there. You mentioned, though, about how it's not a good fit uh, sometimes, right, for certain project yeah. managers. And what I find in my experience is the people who excel at the relationship building side of project management are the ones who have the, the best chance of being a successful mentor. They've figured out the people component. Uh, and Ruth Pierce and Carol Osterweil and so many other guests that we've had on the show before, that's what they talk about in the project management space, right? Is yeah. understanding people. Has has there been any of your research that you've done that comes back to the people side of project management? And, and if if so, what are some of those results that you might be able to share with us? Well, um, when, when the original work was done, and in fact, that work was done for an American organization. I'm not sure if it still exists, called CSC. Does that still exist, Joe? That the Computer Scientist Corporation? The, the yes, big, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, the original work was done with them because this is now going back some 30 years. And and they had looked at project management and they'd found that um, they, they, they estimated at that time they were losing $4 million a year off the bottom line because of poor project practices. 
Uh, and so they felt they could spend some time and money on, on trying to find out what, what would make their project managers good. And um, in the early, in, in 30 years ago, what we worried about was methods. So mm-hmm. we went in, they, they got us, CITI, I was working for, to do this work. And we went and worried about what methods, they, and they were using all different methods all over the place. And what we did prove is that it didn't really matter which method you were using. And that's important today when we're looking at things like Agile and all the rest of it, is that it didn't matter which method they were using, although those organizations which were had a shared and common process tended to be more successful. So where CSE was working, where there was a common process, which people shared, they were more successful than the random types of things. But what we also found is that you could have one person using the same method and another person using the same method. One was incredibly successful, one was incredibly unsuccessful. So what was different about the people was what really mattered. And so we went and measured their high-performing project managers and looked at them. And, and I think one of the, the the interesting, first, the most important behavioural competence that came out, and I've mentioned this before, was integrity. Being able to deal with all of the stuff coming at you. Um, you could call it resili- resilience. You could call it bravery. Um, just being able to deal with this stuff coming at you. And that's part of emotional intelligence. You know, if you if you think now what you might link that to, this is part of that resilience characteristics that we get described in things like emotional intelligence. The, mum, the number one skill by far, um, every time we've done this work, has been communication. What I think is interesting is that in the early days when we did this work, we were working primarily in an IT environment, is that the concern was that IT people couldn't talk upwards to, mm-hmm. to their stakeholders. You know, they, they kind of dribbled on their ties. We had ties in those <laughs> days too. <laughs> um, and so the concern was, you know, how do you get IT people to speak business language? Nowadays, when we look at it, we still get communication coming out, but it's about how you communicate and negotiate and influence across our organisations because our organisations are much flatter now. And the real big barriers aren't trying to talk up to them. It's trying to get this group over here to come along with you or this group of interfaces to your project to be prepared to discuss how you're going to do that interface. So um, we, it continues every time we've done this work that communication comes out really highly. But, but those influencing skills are becoming more and more important for projects. I, I often, I mean, as I said, my master's students are quite, are quite they're senior in their organisations and I will ask them how many of them have been on a negotiation or influencing course and the answer is usually no none of them right Um, and I I think that's a worthwhile question asking of ourselves is what what have we done in order to further our skills in those areas and clearly experience is one of those things that experiential learning is incredibly important but there's other things we can do there are other Pick up. I mean, if you want to start with anything, a good book to start with is um, is the Psychology of Influence. Cialdini. I always recommend my students, you know, to start with that one, um, and and think about what does it mean to persuade people. How do you? Because persuasion is an important part of influence. So um, so so coming back to your question. Um, so yes, we did find these people skills coming out so so strongly in these successful project managers and and the last one I always find interesting we looked at where these project managers were spending their time um, and and what skills was important and we'd always considered that planning would be number one and it was really high at the top but the most important thing they spent their time on was monitoring Mm. and uh, and that kind of makes sense to me now because it's 
it's the execution of the plan that we're interested in. Our successful project managers aren't in a back room busily planning all the time. What they're doing is that they'll create that understanding and that framework so people can know what direction people need to go in. But then they're constantly going out there. They're constantly rechecking. They're constantly seeing, how do I release the energy in the team? How do I recheck the stakeholders are still aligned with what I thought they were aligned with? So they're constantly out there. And, and Generally, I think the time in terms of percentages varied from, it depends on the stage of life cycle, but anything between 30% and 60% of their time was on those kind of monitoring activities. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and again, going back to yesterday's discussion on agile versus waterfall, right? The agile mindset of people over process, the yeah. monitoring side of it being more of the people side, how are we performing versus yeah. the planning side of the process? Of how are we going to go execute this? And, yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see that. Uh, yes. you know, going back to CSC, it, it, ironically, uh, one of my roles in my career was um, I worked for an organization that we had outsourced our IT services to CSC. And my role as the PMO director of the organization was to hold CSC accountable for project performance. Uh, yeah. And we had contractual relationships with them that there were certain you know, gives and takes on billing based on project performance. And we always did well because CSE project performance was always poor. Um, yes. So it's interesting to be able to see that. And yeah. it wasn't because they weren't talented, right? They were talented project managers, but they didn't understand our company culture. They didn't yeah. fit in well with our business, right? That people side of project management, they couldn't get it figured out. So yeah. Changing yeah. servers and networks, it's easy, right? It, it doesn't, it, well, for the technical folks out there, sorry, I just called that easy. But it, yes. but it doesn't involve the people side of it, right? It's the technical component. Um, well, yeah, yes. And, and related to that, it's an interesting problem for companies. I mean, CSC were known for their IT technical role. Mm -hmm. I also work with, and again, I can mention this company, I worked with Rolls-Royce in the UK um, many years back now. Um, and we were looking at, they had kept having project failures. And, and one of the things that came out, and they actually identified it, is that people don't join Rolls-Royce to do project management. Right. They join it. They join it because they love engines. Yeah. So the people that they would get coming for it, and it, I mean, Rolls-Royce was a real, you know, all the top graduates wanted to go to um, Rolls-Royce, but the top engineering graduates wanted to go to Rolls-Royce. So they tended to attract very good engineers. But very good engineers don't always make very good managers and that was a problem for them and they tried an experiment um, in which in one particular year they took half of their um, their graduate intake from social sciences hmm. no engineering background at all and and the cultural impact was really quite significant and, and I suspect that places like CSE also perhaps suffer from that problem Joe is that you know, they tend to attract out now IT or they did I know it's different now but sure. in those days yeah they attended they tended to attract IT and engineering companies tend to attract engineering people um and there's nothing wrong with that but you know as I said it sometimes you need that mix-up and, and Rolls-Royce tried that I don't know the end result of it because it will take several years for them to have gone through that but their initial first two years was gosh I think this has had an impact upon us it changed started to change their culture to value project management more yeah, we had a client locally here in Arizona that was using their electrical engineers to run their projects. Uh, they were a, a semiconductor company. 
and we went in and we start, we took over project management activities for them. They were having problems with retaining customers. Uh, customers were dissatisfied with their project performance. And when we came in and put project managers in charge of projects who didn't know anything about semiconductors or electrical engineering, their customer retention rate skyrocketed. And they yes. were getting repeat business, not because we understood the business, but because we understood relationships and we understood project delivery and we understood how to connect. And yes. I think that's a similar thing that you're talking to, right? Uh, same as when we get a new client in, in any industry that we may not have worked before, they always say, but you, you haven't worked in our industry. How are you going to be able to support our projects? And I say, well, because we're project professionals, we're, we're not trying to understand your industry. We're trying to help you deliver your projects better. Yes. And, and that's the connection, right? When you can find that secret formula, that's when project management becomes a value generation part of your organization and not an overhead function, which many people consider it to be. Absolutely, yes. And, and of course, we've got to get um, the value in our senior stakeholders in organizations. And uh, th there are a lot of reasons why project management is not valid. I mean, I, I had... <laughs> This was a strange one. This was um, again some, some years back now, and I was working with the with the Bank of England, and they had this was after Big Bang days, and they'd had a major project failure, and we went in to look at what the cause of the problem was, and this was an incredibly important project. It affected the streams and feeds to all the banks, and because it was an incredibly important project, they put a really important person on it. So, you know, one down from the person who signs the bank checks. And he was a very senior person. He had the brain of a planet when it came to economics. He knew nothing about project management. Mm -hmm. And and that that was, I think, you don't see that. You wouldn't see that in the Bank of England today. But in those days, just getting companies to value why project was, it wasn't just normal management. You needed the skills of project management to make these projects successful. Was was a challenge that we had to go through. And I think... We have started to get that. It sometimes worries me with Agile. I mean, I, I sometimes feel that Agilists can say, you know, project manager, we don't need project managers anymore. And I think that would be a shame if we start to communicate that. What's your feeling about that? You've been there yesterday. What's your feeling? Yeah. I, I you know, Agile started, of course, as a software development improvement initiative. Agile Manifesto was written by 17 individuals who formed collectively the Agile Alliance. And people tell me all the time, Agile isn't project management. And I say hogwash because the Agile Alliance, the people who wrote the Agile Manifesto, partnered with PMI to write the Agile Practice Guide for project management. Yes. The, the mindset of Agile has grown beyond software development into other areas of business, such as project management. So we, we can take project management skills and competencies, but do it in a way that puts people over process, that has self-governing teams, that has retrospectives throughout the life cycle of the project, right? We can take the 12 principles of Agile and utilize them in project management. It's not software development only anymore. Yeah. So I'm, I'm of the belief in yesterday's debate, the winner was drum roll was it was neither Agile or Waterfall. It was all of us because we have two great competencies we can fall back on. Right, we have two different tools we can use. One isn't better than the other. It's not a or discussion. It's an and discussion. And use the right approach and framework methodology for the appropriate situation. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm of the belief of agile project management does exist. It is successful, but it's still based on performance and people and, and driving all of that work. Yeah, yes. I, I think there's a, a link to some of the work that I'm, I'm doing at the moment. One of the, having done all this work on research and what makes project management successful, I, I got involved with, I've literally profiling project managers. I've been doing that for many years now, literally profiled over a thousand project managers, which is why profiling, I mean, kind of, it's it's like a case study interview, interview people, get them to do questionnaires. So it's like an assessment centre. In the UK, I, I did it with a number of different companies. Here in South Africa, one of them that I worked with is, is Marion's company. And what's fascinating with her is I've been doing it with them for now 10 years so I actually have got to see project managers growing. I've actually profiled some of them two or three times. And, and one of the discussions that um, we had with Marion is that we were all of the belief that a project manager was a project manager. And, and, and as you got into more complex projects, you, you had these core set of skills. But we also knew that there were certain project managers who appeared to be good at certain types of projects and not necessarily good at other types of projects. Mm. Um, and, and in the end, um, for, for looking at, and this is primarily an IT area, we divided our project managers into three groups. One was app dev project managers, and that's where your agile type project managers would sit. One was business project managers, and one was technical project managers. And, and some of the most senior project managers, they could fit in any of these. But some of the ones in the middle, they tended to be better in one or another. And we, and we did workshops where we'd Look at role models and say, look, that, well, Steve, he's a great technical project manager. Why? What's different about him? And one of the things that came out, for example, we had one project manager uh, and, and how he was described is that it didn't matter. He could be phoning up the CEO of the company at half past five, six, half past six in the evening and the CEO would take his call. Now, that's a skill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's a skill. Um, and that's that relationship skill. You see, you see in these business project managers, you see very much that ability to be able to create relationships across a very broad group of stakeholders. Whereas some of the technical project managers, I mean, they were fantastic. They could talk to any technical architect in the organization. And the architects would trust them. They would work with them. And, and they had a different kind of, of, of focus. They, they understood architectures. They understood about um, integrating different architectures. But you wouldn't, they wouldn't get the CEO to talk to them at half past six in the evening. Right. They didn't have those same skills. App dev, interesting. What it appeared to be in our, you know, our role model app dev project managers is that, yes, they were more focused inwards on the team um, than they were focused outwards on the stakeholder groups. We're fantastic at issue resolution, internal issue resolution, but they weren't necessarily so focused on external strategic issue resolution. And they were also extremely good at that monitoring processes that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, they, they probably, they, they tended to, uh, to put more emphasis on that, um, doing the reviews and the rest of it, than doing um, what you might call more formal planning. So the plans were often cyclostyled, because they could be, they kind of pulled out and made to work. Whereas you go into the business or particularly the technical project managers, they, they tend to have very good understanding of um, more formal project planning skills. So I think that was interesting. And, and to this day, in fact, I've just been interviewing um, today for a, a role in, in this company for an app dev project manager. And, and you can hear they talk differently. 
there's no doubt they talk differently. And and I think we're only beginning to to kind of scrape at the surface of that. My feeling is that as, as you get more and more senior, then your most senior project managers will be able to do have an understanding of each of these different areas. But some some project managers get typecast into those areas and, and they're going to be technical project managers or they're going to be app dev or they're going to be business um, and they're going to stay in those areas. And, and it's important that the PMO understands these different types of skills and, and where people can be successful because it's a really awful thing to take a project manager who's incredibly successful in one environment and then push them into another environment which they can't be successful in. And I think that's where you know, the PMO has a big role to play in, in making sure that the right project managers are matched into the right areas. So this, where were you when I was running my PMOs? Um, so this profiling and this research is fascinating. Is this, are the findings public or are those for the organizations only? Is there a way to be able to, to go see what these results are? Yeah, I mean, some of the original work um, was published because I was still in mainstream academia then, um, and and a lot of it was around what was called case modelling. Mm-hmm. So um, case stands for knowledge, attitude, skills, and experience, which is the profiling device that we use. So um, in in fact, the idea of case is I can't tell you whether you whether that project manager is good or not. What I can tell you is this is what they look like. Now, what you need to worry about is if they look like that. What kind of project should they be most like to be successful on? So, so because because uh, profile, you know, I get to meet project managers for for two hours. I'm not going to be able to tell you anything you don't already know about whether this project manager is good or not. But what I might be able to do is help you understand in what areas their most their strengths lie in. So that's that's the idea behind profiling. I mean, of the of the case model, what was interesting when we published these results, and it still remains true today, is that. Um, of knowledge, attitude, skills, and experience, the most, the, the biggest predictor of overall performance is experience. Interesting. And the and the lowest predictor is knowledge. So, if you think about some of the um, qualifications that we put people through, um, where there is a knowledge focus, don't get me wrong. I think it's we know it's very important that project managers have knowledge, but it's not a great predictor of performance. So. What we found is that is that high-performing project managers always have reasonable knowledge levels, but just because somebody has a high knowledge level, knowledge level won't necessarily mean they're a good project manager. So experience turns out seems to be the highest correlate with success, and it's the variety of experiences. So somebody having the same experience for 15 years isn't isn't likely to be as effective as somebody who's had different experiences over the 15 years. Um, and attitudes and behaviours. Attitudes and behaviours comes out time and time again. Um, and, and we see those different attitudes and behaviours between the three different types of project managers I was talking about, by the way, because um, the app dev project managers tend to be more troubleshooting focused, issue resolution, active type things. Um, and your business and your technical project managers tend to be a little bit more um, uh, framework builders structures build structures they can they can see projects um, and they can describe them in different ways very interesting and bruno hey thanks for joining uh and throwing a comment out there bruno former guest on the show coming on and and listening it's great to hear this so we often hear about accidental project managers people who haven't been trained 
uh, but are continuously asked to lead projects because they have probably that innate uh, project management gene in them and their experience allows them to be successful even though they probably can't define a WBS or critical path or any of the, the knowledge areas that you would get from, from kind of standard project management training. So I yeah. guess those results don't surprise me, but it's great to have validation of what you think. And, and, yes. there, and that's where research really can be uh, helpful. Yeah. Yes, I mean, the, when we looked at how project managers develop, we, we, they seem to develop through three levels. The first one, which you were talking about there, Joe, I, I call it the intuitive. Some people just intuit. I don't know about you. I was an organizer. I drove everybody around the bend when I was a student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to organize things. Um, and that's very common in successful project managers. They have that intuitive understanding. Um, they can you know, can do five things at once, which is why women are so good at project management, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, so that intuitive understanding, but it also turns out that that works until your to-do list gets too big. And then you need to you know, put these procedural things on top of it and you need to apply judgment. So you kind of build upon intuitive. If you don't have that intuitive, you're going to struggle to be a project manager. Yeah, you know, people ask me, how long have you been a project manager? And I, I turned 54 last month and I said, well, about 54 years. I mean, that, I was just born that way, right? I'm not a, I'm not a singer. I'm not a, an athlete. I'm, it's, it's, you know, people have skills they're born with and I was just born with that project management piece, right? I mean, it's intuitive for me to be able to go do that. And it comes out in other parts of life, right? In high school sports, I was the catcher on the baseball team because I was organizing the players and calling the pitches and yes. directing where mm -hmm. we'd go. It was, I was just drawn to that position. So I agree. I, I, when we interview candidates, I can tell within usually 30 seconds if they're a born project manager or they've become a trained project manager. They're, it's very obvious, those those people. Yeah, yes. Well, we are coming up on time, right? I, I say this every episode and I, and I don't joke when I say it. It's like, where does the time fly, right? I mean, it goes by so fast. And certainly I want to thank you, uh, Louise, for joining us, obviously, from South Africa um, and sharing all of this information. I think we it feels as if we've just tapped the surface of all of the insights that you've collected over the years. So certainly, uh, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll have you back someday to be able to go one layer deeper and, and dig into this even further. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with everybody that uh, you have coming up or any, any books or where they can connect with you? How can folks learn more about what you're doing and the work that you've done? I think that the, um, the the thing that has excited me for the last few years is stakeholder engagement. Um, and I, I wrote a book on which was actually edited by a Professor Tim Kloppenborg, who is at one of the universities in America, which I should remember, and I can't remember which one it is. Um, Xavier, he's at Xavier University. He's done some great stuff. So, I mean, look out for their book series. I've actually got three books in that series. And I think one which relates to what we've been talking about today is adaptive project planning, which... I believe in, um, and it comes out so much when we look at successful project managers, is, is how we must adapt our approaches to the, to the particular demands of our projects. So that's the one I think, yeah, that came out of this kind of thinking. But otherwise, just thank you, Joe. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for what you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I feel as if uh, each of these sessions for me is a mentoring session. It's my opportunity to talk to some of the most impactful leaders in our industry from around the world and get a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them that I normally wouldn't have an opportunity to do if it wasn't for this platform and for this show. So 
I thank you and every guest that we've had on before for uh, mentoring me and helping me understand a little bit more about what I need to do and my team needs to do to help us be successful. So thank you so much for that, Louise. Uh, obviously, thank you to all of our listeners as well. Right? Without listeners, we don't have a show, and, and that uh, is very important, of course. So be sure to visit our website, pmosquad.com slash podcast, and check out all of our past shows. You'll also be able to see a list of upcoming guests, which includes Ricardo Martin, Sanjeev Augustine, Melissa McDonald, Constantine Rebel, and Robert Brees will be joining from Germany. Mate Severa, Trackvia, which is working with PMI and the Citizen Developer Program, they'll be joining us once again. Suzanne Davenport, uh, we'll have folks from Keyed In will be joining us as well. And possibly on June 16th, Maria Abdelina from Ukraine. Obviously, she has other priorities in her life right now. We have her scheduled for the 16th. We may or may not be able to have her with us. So we'll tune in on the 16th and see what we have going on that day. We are live, of course, but we do record these shows, so they are available for playback. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on uh, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Google, whatever your platform of choice is. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Without them, none of this would be possible. So certainly thank you to both those organizations. That's it for now. Office Hours are closed. Until next time. I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.